Lord willing, in less than a month from now, we'll be having minister ordination. I don't know if you've been thinking about that. Trust you have. Trust you've been thinking about it, praying about it. So this morning I would like to uh, take a look at uh, qualifications for a minister. Share a few things that the scripture has to say and talk a little bit about that. I was looking back through my notes and messages. I came across a message that I had preached here back in November of 06. I think it was leading up to our minister ordination. And in that message, I had mentioned that a minister must love. And then I had several points that must love God, must love his word, and gave a number of subpoints for that. Must love the church and, of course, his family. I don't know if any of you remember that message or not. Uh, some of you weren't alive, probably, so of course you don't. But <clears throat> it's been a while ago. In thinking about the message today, I would say that it, it as I look toward ordinations, the last one and the one coming up, I probably look at them a little differently differently than maybe I did even uh, back in 06, 07, probably because I'm getting older, and maybe just in thinking about that, when I was first ordained, uh, I was the youngest one on, in the group, I was the youngest one of the, the, the acting team at that time, and then soon after that, we had ordination to replace uh, Brother Freeman was, uh, I think, in mission work or something. We had deacon ordination, and that was when Brother Owen was ordained, and I was still the youngest one on the team, so I could look up to all these, these older ones. And Then as time passed, we had bishop ordination, and uh, then to replace Bill, uh, we had another minister ordination, and Dwayne was ordained, and I was still the youngest guy on the group. I was still looking up to all these older ones that were on the, in the ministry. And then when Jerry uh, chose to retire, we had ordination, and uh, there was at least there was a man in a lot that was close to my age, and at least one that were old, was older. So I could have still been the youngest man on the team, but the Lord chose Brother Kevin. And then I was no longer the youngest guy on a team. I was, I was starting to move up in the, in the group as far as age went. Well, then we had deacon ordination recently. And uh, now there's only one on the team older than I am. Now, that doesn't mean there couldn't still be someone ordained older than I am this time. I recognize that. But the chances are not as likely as they have been in the past. And so... Likely, very soon here, I will be the oldest one on a team. I was, we were at a supper recently, and most of the rest that were there were ordained people. And the guy that was kind of hosted it and invited us asked me if I'd share some things maybe with the rest of, the, rest of them um, on just, you know, keeping on, keeping on. He said, uh, you're the one with the most experience of all that will be there. And that kind of shook me a little bit. As it worked out, I didn't have to share anything. I was glad of that. But 
I still, when I'm in a group of ministers, I still kind of feel sometimes like I'm the, the new guy on the block and I'm trying to f- learn some things. But I recognize that's not really the case. And before too many years, if I live that long, it'll be my turn to pass the baton to someone else to take my place. So I say all that to say this. I think for those here that are younger, the maybe the gravity and, and so forth of an ordination maybe doesn't quite hit you like it does some of us that are older, or at least me. That's my experience anyway. I think as I get older, and, and, I especially, and having been in a ministry a number of years now, you, you kind of tend to see these things maybe uh, the, it looks bigger than what it did. And again, it could just be me. It could just be because I'm old or whatever. I don't know. But I just, in saying all that, want to encourage you that decisions at times like this do greatly affect the church, not only for the short term, but for the long term, for generations to come, really. And don't assume, and I'll probably mention this later in the message as well or toward the end, but don't assume that, well, if I put their name in, um, whatever, God will sort it out if we have a lot. That's not... That's not how it works. Sometimes, and I've shared this with you before, sometimes when people are careless in putting names in, God will do just what he did to Israel and say, okay, if that's what you want, it's what you're going to get. And it's disaster. When Israel wanted a king, God said, okay, it's not my choice, but I'll give you a king. And how well did that work out for them? It didn't work out so well. So God has given us guidelines in the scriptures. And I will recognize, and this is probably one of the hardest messages for me to preach on, because when you preach on something like this, you see all your own glaring faults. Because you read these passages, and it's like, wow, I I need to, you know, work in this area, this area, this area. However, God has still given those for guidelines when we choose leaders. And we don't say, well, um, yeah, well, nobody's perfect, so those things don't really matter. They're there in the Scripture for a reason. And, yes, God does equip who he calls, and he gives them gifts, and he helps them to grow. And it is a growing process. But that does not negate the passages that we're going to look at and the guidelines that are there. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And I want to go through these. We're going to look at Titus a little bit too. But primarily we're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy, chapter 3. Go through these and and take a look at these different qualifications in order as we go through this passage. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then we'll come back and take a look at it. It says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall 
to reproach and a snare of the devil. And then it goes on to talk about the qualifications of a deacon. Now, I know it says here the qualifications of a bishop, and I think that is a biblical term, obviously, but it also refers to elders, presbyters, those in the ministry uh, particularly. And so I believe these qualifications are true for a minister of the gospel in our, in our circles. So he says here in his first verse, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I'm going to refer a couple of times this morning to the Williams translation to kind of help us get maybe a couple of different translations as we look at this. And this says, this is a saying to be trusted. Whoever aspires to the office of pastor desires an excellent work. Now, in our circles, we look at that and say, whoa, somebody actually wants to be in a ministry. Somebody wants to be bishop. Someone wants to be leader. Well, why would someone want to be in this position? It could be several reasons. It could be that maybe um, the brother feels called, and it's, there's this nagging in there that he feels called and just wants to use his calling. It could be that uh, he wants it for his own purposes, which is not good, or he just wants to be Maybe in charge or up front or those kinds of things. Now, I could stand up here and tell you all the things that maybe you wouldn't like about being in this position, but that's not what I'm up here to do this morning because I think God has called someone to this, to the responsibility of being in the ministry. It's a, it's a blessing to be uh, used in God's kingdom, whatever we're used for, however we're used, and we want to do it to bring honor and glory to God. I will say this, though, in our setting and in our circles, uh, if someone is running for office, I would say look out. Look out. Not if someone feels called, not if someone in their heart desires to fulfill the calling God has placed on their life, but I'm talking about if someone is going about trying to be noticed, trying to let others know, hey, I need that position, I, I would say, That's your first red flag to seriously consider, maybe looking elsewhere. Not that someone can't share about their calling. That happens, and there's nothing wrong with that. I probably was maybe over the top the other way when it came. um, I think I've shared this, that uh, I felt the first time I remember specifically feeling like someday I would be a a preacher was... uh, I can take it was right down the road down here, uh, heading home from church one time. I don't remember what Harold Myers preached about, but I remember he was the one that preached that Sunday. We were heading home, and it was when there, the, there were little wooden posts or something along the road down here by the ditch at one time. I don't know. It looked different than it does now, but I can still see the picture in my mind. Leaning up over the seat of the car. Apparently, we didn't have to have seat belts on. And telling my parents, someday I'm going to be a preacher. Now, I don't know what they thought about it. I don't know if I've ever asked them. But anyway, I still remember that, and that feeling never left me. I lived a couple years in a way that didn't make any sense, having that in the back of my mind, but that feeling never left me. But I don't think I told anyone that about that until, at least that I recall, until the ordination prior to mine, or when I was ordained, my wife could tell that I was 
somewhat uncomfortable during that ordination and so forth, and so I took her out to eat and told her that I felt this calling, and she, I probably should have shared that with my wife prior to that time. So you can be over the edge one way to where you're like absolutely not going to tell anyone no matter what because you don't want to be chosen because you have that feeling, that calling, or you can have the problem of people running for office to where they're going around trying to get support to get their name put in. And so there's two ditches there, and I would say don't get in either ditch, Uh, but I think friends can share with others their maybe what they're feeling on their life and so forth. But I think you know what I mean by running for office. But if someone has that calling and wants to live it out, there's nothing wrong with that according to this passage. It says then we must be blameless. Wow, blameless. The word means they're above reproach or someone who is not The word actually has somewhat of a root in the idea of not being arrested. In other words, now, fortunately, I I think you'd have a hard time putting someone's name down if they were currently under arrest and in prison, and we'd have to somehow work with the authorities to bring them here for the ordination. That would probably be a problem, unless they were in for their beliefs. But the word arrest there means that they're not under hold. Like, you can't hold them for something. They're not... um, being challenged. There's nothing in their life that you can grab onto and say, you are not qualified because of this. And so to be blameless, to be above reproach, and yet I would say this, maybe above reproach, but approachable if necessary. If someone is not approachable because they think they're above reproach, now you've got a problem as well. So if you think about the brother that maybe is in your mind or several, or, and, and we have a number of men here that I believe are qualified, uh, would this person be approachable if there was something? And are there glaring things that just are not good? And so balance that out. Think about it. The husband of one wife. Well, I think that's pretty clear. Now, I know a lot of uh, people try to make this say something else. And I do think it should be a person. Sometimes they say, well, this is a, means it's a one-woman man, someone who's not interested in a bunch of other women or something. And I, I, that's certainly true. You don't want a man in, in the ministry like that. But I tend to believe that the Scripture means what it says here. you got one wife. I hope that's not a problem here. Um, In the early church, a lot of cultures coming into the church and so forth, and I don't know what all the things were going on then, but I think that's what he meant. You cannot have a man in this position who would have more than one wife. Uh, Just that simple. And that would certainly disqualify anyone who is divorced and remarried as well, their first spouse still living. And then it goes on and says, someone who is uh, vigilant. And that word means to be temperate, sober, not given to a lot of wine, self-controlled. And I might say not only self-control, but spirit-controlled is the person that you might think about. Um, Someone who is um, able to control themselves, especially in tough situations when things get pretty radical. Uh, Are they temperate in all things 
And then it goes right on with that and says sober. And that word sober there means um, sound mind or sane in one's senses. I thought about that with myself. I thought, well, maybe I'm disqualified right there. You know, someone who is, has a sound mind and one who is sane. But I think that's important that you, as someone who thinks things through well, someone who is, thinks clearly, not, not someone who doesn't have a sound mind as far as just maybe radical in their ideas and radical in their approaches and radical in their thoughts and so forth, but someone who is more sound and, uh, in that way. Good behavior. And it's interesting, that root word there has to do with um, actually well-arranged or well-behaved. Someone who behaves themselves well. Given to hospitality, um, are they easy to visit with? When you think about someone's name you'd like to put down, is this someone that you could go up to and visit with easily? Are they someone that if you were in a tight situation, if things were tough, if for some reason you needed to talk to someone you could go knock on their door at whatever hour in their home that they would say, come in, come in, let's have a cup of coffee or whatever, let's sit down, let's talk about things, what, what's, what's going on? Are they the type of person that their home is open to others, given to hospitality? Frankly, if you're going to be given to hospitality, it probably comes back to the idea that you like people and you appreciate people and you don't mind being around people. You don't really want um, someone in a ministry who just doesn't care much for people and doesn't want to be around people and doesn't want to ever have people over because that just doesn't work very well. You need someone who appreciates people. Now, some people are certainly more outgoing than others, and some, I think, even within any ministry team, you're going to have some people that are definitely more shall I say, hospitable, love to have people over, love to have friends, just like to do things with people, and others that are maybe more reserved. It doesn't mean that the person can't be reserved, maybe isn't the person that's always throwing the party, that kind of thing. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. But in a situation where someone needs them, are they open and are they willing to put other things aside in order to spend time with someone that needs them right then? What about apt to teach? Well, a minister needs to be able to share a message that is understandable, that people can learn from. And and I realize in a a church like this, uh, we have a plural ministry, and we do that so that you hear teaching from different angles, you hear from different people. And I am certain that when when, when you open up the bulletin and you see that Today that I'm preaching, uh, some of you are probably like, well, I'm not going to learn much today. I just, I don't connect with his style. I, I'd rather have Dwayne up or, or maybe uh, rather have Kevin preaching or whatever. And, and I understand that. That's why we have a plural ministry. People can hear from different types of preaching and, and get things from it. But what it really boils down to is you still have to have in the ministry someone who can exegete the word, someone who can preach the word, someone who can teach and, and be accurate. And I think along with this, apt to teach comes back as well to having sound doctrine and theology. And you might say, well, 
is that really important? As long as they can, you know, they're a, you know, they can get up and keep my attention, does it really matter what, they, what they're teaching? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I don't know. I don't know if, of anything maybe other than personal holiness, if you want to say that. Outside of their relationship with God, anything that is more important when it comes to the qualifications of a minister then is he sound in his belief? Is he sound? Is his doctrine sound? I just read recently, and I, and I, and I want to say this right before I use this example, and I'm not actually going to name names, but any of us are, are none of us are above the possibility of, of falling into sin. The scripture makes that clear. That even when we restore someone that has, that we need to do it correctly, lest we also end up in that sin. But there was a, there's a situation right now, you, hear, you might read a little bit about it. There's a famous, or maybe in my opinion more of an infamous um, group known for their songs and their songwriting and their church and so forth, that one of the leaders is... He's not the only one in the group, but especially the one has been found to be have serious indiscretion in his life and sins and so forth. And it's a sad situation, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful necessarily to that individual. Like I said, we all can fall. But someone who is very interested in correct teaching and doctrine and theology said this about it. Said the problem didn't start with the behavior the problem started with theology and his doctrine, which was quite askew for a long, long time. So if you think wrongly, you will probably act wrongly eventually. If your doctrine is askew, you will teach it, and eventually it will affect the church greatly. So apt to teach, and, and we'll probably mention a couple of verses later regarding all of that. I'd like to, um, let's go on to verse verse 3. Not given to wine. In other words, not a drinker, uh, not a drunkard. And I might say, not addicted to anything. Uh, You don't want someone that's addicted to things. No striker. Um, I'm going to read this verse From the Williams here, uh, not addicted to strong drink, not pugnacious, gentle, not contentious. What does pugnacious mean? It's interesting. Um, if you look in the Strong's, it actually uses that. It has that word there. But it's basically someone who is quick to fight, someone who's quick to argue, someone who's quick to be contentious, someone who's just likes a good fight, likes a good argument, likes a good whatever. Now, I don't mind a good debate if it has to do with debating things that are right and, and so forth, but as I guess when it talks here about someone like this, not a striker, um, if someone, if, if, if a brother in a church is, is just kind of the type that just loves to bring up an argument just to argue, 
Loves to bring something up just to fight. Loves to be, you know, take devil's advocate all the time just so they can be contentious. You don't, you don't want them in the ministry. I'm sorry. You don't need that. You, you don't. It's just you don't want a fighter, okay? Someone who, now you want someone that can fight for truth. Don't misunderstand me. But for someone that just likes to be always taking the opposite side, always being argumentative, always trying to, to just argue about something, that's not the type of person that the Scripture says you want into the ministry. It also says there um, the idea of going along with that, someone who is gentle, as it says in William, gentle and not contentious. Someone that's gentle and, and just doesn't like contention. Yeah, there are times when they have to deal with those things, but it's not what they enjoy, what they like. Not greedy for filthy lucre, or not out just to try to see how much money and, and do it, especially in wrong ways and so forth. What is there, maybe when we think about this filthy lucre, um, what is their goal in life? Is it, let me ask you this, so when you think about a brother for the ministry, which do you think would get them more excited to talk about something? Talking about how much money you can make doing something, or talking about something in the Word? Which would get them the most excited? If it's the money... And I'm not saying a, a preacher can't have a lot of money. There are some very, very wealthy ministers in the, in the conservative Mennonite circles. But if money gets them more excited than the Word of God does, you better look for somebody else's name. It just isn't what you want. It's not what the Scripture says. So as he goes on there, it talks about someone who is patient, not a brawler. Those go along with the idea of not a striker, someone who is gentle, someone who's not contentious. And then it says not covetousness, or not covetous, which goes along with the idea of the how, what, what really makes them tick. And then we go over into, chat, into verse 4 where it says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now often in our circles, we aren't choosing men who are grandpas. We might have, but we, it's generally not the case. It's often men that are right in the middle of raising their families and Sometimes it's hard to know. How's that all going to work out? You, you, it's hard to know. You can't look down the road and say, well, okay, once this man's children have all gotten married and moved on in life, now we can tell maybe the real story. But I think we can still observe and see what's going on in a home. What's the husband-wife relationship like? Do the children respect their father? Does the father have wisdom when it comes to dealing with his children? Those are important things. And it could be as well that, um, I mean, we, we talk about husband and wife and so forth. 
God does call single people to the ministry as well. It's been done in the past and likely will happen in the future. So sometimes maybe you can't tell because they don't have children or maybe they don't have children yet or maybe they aren't married so you can't tell those things. But consider that. If you, I guess I would say if, the, if this brother has a family and the children are just unruly, disrespectful, etc., etc., he's not going to know how to work in the church. Not a novice. Not someone who is very, very young or who has just become a Christian, maybe of any age. Now, in our church here, we have a stipulation that someone needs to be a member for five years to be considered for the ministry. And so you might say, well, it's not quite as likely that a novice or a new Christian would, would actually be even eligible. And I think that's what it comes back to, is this idea of someone that's not a novice, someone who's been a part of us, someone we've been able to observe for a period of time to see what their life is like and if they're qualified. And so not a novice, because it says here, um, lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And basically what that's meaning there is, so the devil was condemned because of pride. He was lifted up. He thought he was somebody. He lifted himself up and said, look at me. And he was condemned for it. And so the same thing could happen with someone who is just a novice, and lifts himself up and says, look at me, look at me, oh wow, you know, look at what I'm going to do. And, and fall into the same condemnation that Satan fell into as well. And then it says, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and a snare of the devil. What do people outside of the church have to say? If you would go ask his neighbors, what kind of a person is this? And he says, well, I'd give anything to have a different neighbor. Um, then you probably don't want to have him as a minister. Now, there could be situations where the neighbor is the problem. That happens. But if it's a general understanding that he does not have a good name of people in the community, how would he work in the ministry? It just, wouldn't, it just would not work. Turn over to Titus. And in Titus chapter 1, we also see qualifications uh, of elders and bishops. And I'll start reading in verse 5. It says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Now I will say, make a couple of comments about that verse. First of all, it's interesting that he told Titus, I left you there in Crete. You need to get things in order that are not in order, basically, things that are wanting, and then put leaders into place. There has been, in the last, I would say, I don't know how many years, a kind of a movement among some conservative Anabaptists to have a group of believers where there really is no leader. No one's chosen as a leader. We just all kind of work together. Well, uh, there's one of two things going to happen. Either someone's going to be Come the leader just because that's just how things work, or it's going to be out of order. There's a reason Paul said, get things in order and then have leaders there so things stay in order, basically. We need leaders 
in, a, in a, any setting. And he said, ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any man, if any be blameless, a husband of one wife, hanging faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Verse 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort, that is to build up, to encourage, and to convince or to convict the gainsayers or the opposition. And then he goes right on in and starts talking about false teachers. False teachers come right after this. And this is what I was talking about when I said that you need men that have sound doctrine. You aren't going to be able to exhort or to build up a brotherhood without uh, the faithful word, sound teaching. Or will you be able to convict those who have some uh, sort of opposition to the brotherhood or to the belief? Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is a verse I've shared with you before. And, um, but I think it's important for us to consider at a time like this. Verses 1 and 2 of uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard. Okay, Timothy was taught these things. Heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So, when you think about this brother that you feel may be qualified for the ministry, is this someone who is a faithful person who's going to be able to pass it on to other faithful people and so on and so on for generations to come? There needs to be that faithfulness and passing it on. Commit it to others who shall be able to teach others also for the generations to come. I want to give just some, maybe some practical things here for you to think about. First of all, I encourage you to spend time in prayer and fasting over the next month. Now, I'm not saying to just spend the whole month fasting, uh, but I'm saying over the next month, I would take some time to spend time in prayer. And if you are able physically to, to spend some time in fasting, to do that. Use the scripture when you're thinking about, Lord, who do you want me to put down? Who do you want me to, do you have a name? The scriptural guidelines, go back and read what we did this morning. Look at the scripture, and there are other guidelines. That is first and foremost. If you're thinking, well, God, just bring a name to my mind, just bring a name, or you open up the church directory with your eyes closed and point or whatever, you know, don't, no. The scriptural guidelines is where you go first. That's where the wisdom is at. Now, maybe you believe that there are, and I think there definitely are, maybe you can think of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight men that you think, I think they're all qualified, or maybe more. I don't know. I'm just throwing those numbers out there. And you pray about it, and you can't see any reason why any one of these wouldn't be. Then 
Spend time asking God, God, could you make it clear which of these I should put down or if I should put someone's down? And if they fall within the scriptural mandates, I would say this. If, if there's nothing outside of what we've, what, what's in the scripture in their lives, then you're not going to put a wrong name down. Don't be fearful that, well, I, there were no lights in the sky, there were no, I didn't have a dream, I didn't have whatever, so I just can't give a name. If the name that you put down, if that brother falls within the scriptural mandates that are given, it's not a wrong name, I don't believe. Unless for some reason God makes it clear to you, no, don't put that name down, then it would be wrong. I would say this as well. Observe the husband and the wife. And remember one thing. I didn't talk about qualifications this morning for the wife. But... If the brother is married and you put their name down, if the wife is not qualified, the brother isn't either. If there are, if you look at the, this, the, the couple, if their marriage isn't good, or if you look at the wife and say, wow, there are just things that just don't qualify. Oh, wow, I'm not sure she would make a pastor's wife, not sure this would work. Then, I would, you, you must consider that. You are getting in the ministry, if they're married, if the minister is married, you are, or you're, you're getting a couple that are going to work in the ministry. <clears throat> there were some things that I shared before our last ordination to consider. Um, does the brother... And his wife, if married, support the church. Are they supporters of this brotherhood? Or do you seldom see them? Are they really supporters of the church? Are they involved now? And you might say, well, I don't know how involved they are at church, but maybe they're involved in other things, reaching out to people within the brotherhood that you don't even see, and you don't, maybe you, there's no way you can know that. But if you look at this brother and this sister, are they people that you believe are involved in the brotherhood, in the work, maybe behind the scenes, maybe right out front? Do they support the church and its standards? And be careful about saying, well, I'd like, to put, I'd like to see this brother get in because there are some things in our statement of faith and practice I want to see change, and I think he'll push to change them. Look out. If you don't appreciate the church for what it is and the standards, and we just went through the statement of faith and practice, and you don't appreciate it, and you want to put someone in to see things get changed, you're probably pushing for a lot of struggles within the ministry and possibly a church split. There's easier ways to deal with that. If, you, if, you, if there are things that are so strong in our statement of faith and practice that you can't agree with, don't try to put a man in and put him under that kind of pressure to change it. There's other options. I think you understand what I mean. It's just that clear. You don't choose someone. Now, I'm not saying things can't change. I'm not saying there aren't things that we can grow in, certainly. But don't choose a man just to try to, to do that. And by that, I would also say you don't, get someone, you don't choose someone just because you think you've got their ear and you can twist their arms to make these kind of changes. That's just not, it's not how <coughs> we do that. That's... That's playing church, and it's not good. What do you see as this brother's focus? 
Um, and again, I will say, don't just think, well, I'll just put down their name and let God sort it out in a lot. He'll take care of it. Well, yes, if there is a lot, um, God can choose. But God can also choose to give us things because of our attitudes and, and our desires that may not be right. There is somewhat of a move in our churches, and, and I'm, it's okay however groups choose to do their ordinations. It's totally up to each group. But there's kind of a move to get completely away from the use of a lot because after Pentecost, you don't specifically see it used in the New Testament. After the Holy Spirit come, the argument is you don't see the lot ever used. And if a church decides to do it that way, I'm, that's, that's up to them. I'm okay with that, I guess. I, I prefer if you as a brotherhood are involved and there's more than one brother that qualifies to, to use the lot. My response to that would be this. If we want to move completely in that direction, after the, after the choosing of the deacons, I don't see any place in the New Testament where the brotherhood was involved in the picking of the leaders either. If somebody can find that, show it to me. So it doesn't say they aren't. It doesn't say they didn't use a lot. It doesn't say how they did it exactly. The one thing we do know is that the leaders were and did ordain or choose leaders and elders in the church. And so I think if a group decides to do it one way or another, that's okay. And I think here we, I appreciate having the brotherhood involved in it. And then if it comes down to more than one that qualifies, then we let God make that final decision for us. James Miller has a, a little outline he's done, and I may put these, I'm not sure, I, I would ask him first. It has responsibilities of people to God, to their ministers, to each other. But it says there's a responsibility of ministers to God, and there are scriptures for each of these. I thought I'd read these quickly. He needs to be born again, maintain a deep fellowship with God by reading, meditation, applying the word of God, by praying without ceasing, accept the call willingly, meet and maintain qualifications of church leaders, humble himself before God, be strong in the grace of God, preach the word, and watch for the flock as he must give an account. And then it also talks here about the responsibilities to the flock, but then also within the brotherhood or within the ministry, within a plural ministry. And again, he has scriptures for these. They need to love each other, maintain a deep respect for each other, good communication, consider carefully the uh, conscience of the other, work together toward common goals, trust one another, clothe oneself with humility, recognize each other's gifts and callings, pray for each other, spend time together, and be forgiving. And so maybe those are things that you can think about as you think about the brother. And then the brother's responsibility to the flock, be an example that God ex uh, expects. Be transparent and accountable to the brotherhood. Preach the whole counsel of God. Be sensitive to needs of the individual people. Be available. Show friendship to all without partiality. Take the oversight willingly. Protect the sheep from false teaching. Warn people of sin. Must be willing to discipline, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Strive to keep members' membership pure and up-to-date. Pray for the people. Take time for visitation. Feed the flock. Be patient. Be courteous. 
and be kindly affectioned toward the people. And there are scriptures for all of those. So maybe some of those things, as I read through them, can kind of just help you think about, is this the type of brother that would, would do that?